Good morning, Impact. How are you doing? Well, or I should say Impact Launch Team. Friends, as most of you know, Impact Church is going to be launching August 25th. That's when we have our grand opening plan. That's the day when we go live for the people that, that we've been working for nine months to get ready for it. I know we've been having church, uh, and people have been kind of settling in, and we've even met at a couple different locations. Our, actually, our third location, and we haven't even really started yet. Uh, but we want, if you haven't heard this before, you really need to hear this. I, I used to say there's almost a thousand churches in Charlotte and the surrounding area, but gang, it just hit 1,100 in Charlotte and the, it didn't just hit it, but I haven't updated my stats for a couple of years. So almost 1,100 churches in Charlotte within 45 minutes of Charlotte, right in there, there's 1,100 churches. So gang, we don't need another church. Anybody agree with that, by the way? We don't need another church. There's no reason to bring another church up in Charlotte. There is a reason to have a movement of God though, isn't there? There's absolutely a reason, and, and, and the church is called the bride of Jesus Christ. It's his wife, it's alive, it's vibrant, and through the church, Jesus said he would change the world. Well, listen, he, you know, Christianity got started with 12 men, 12 men. One of them doesn't count, Judas, 11 men, started this movement that is the biggest movement in the history of the world, and yet 1,100 churches don't seem to be able to hardly dent Charlotte. Because we don't need buildings just for people to gather and, and sort of contemplate their own navels and do their own thing. The church is supposed to be outward focused. We come, we get fed, we learn, we get equipped, and we go out and we reach a world and show them something different. So we, we're asking God, we're begging God to move by his Holy Spirit here so that every time people come to Impact Church, they encounter God. Do not want you to come and just play church. We're not playing here. Some of you are like, I came just to play. Wrong place. You have 1,100 other choices for that. We're here because we expect God to meet us here and meet people here. And our number one thing we want to see happen is that when people come in here, they meet God. They encounter him each and every week, not on the on weeks versus the off weeks. Every single week, encounter God at Impact Church. By the way, what's it take for a movement? I was looking at movements this week, uh, and actually last couple of weeks trying to go, when have there been movements? There's, sometimes there's movements for greed. Sometimes there's movements because something's popular and you just enjoy it. Sometimes there's movements because God's Holy Spirit moves. Sometimes there's movements, uh, I hate to say this, but it's in history we see it. There can be bad movements too. There can be movements obviously with World War II and Hitler. He got the whole nation of Germany to rise up for a movement that was evil and bad. So there's all kinds of reasons for a movement. But movements aren't easy. To get <laughs> two people to move is not easy. Sometimes to get my own family to move and do chores is not easy. To get hundreds to move is very hard. To get thousands to move, you just don't see it very much. I was thinking about different movements in the United States. Here's one. Did you know that when the country was first being settled and people came over here for freedom of religion and all, they went to about the, you know, they went to the mountains basically on the East Coast and they didn't go much west of that. You know why? Because it was scary. And it was dangerous, and, and they were risking their lives. And there was a group of people already here. We weren't the first people. They were Indians, my people. I'm part Cherokee. So, like one one-hundredth, but it's there, and I'm proud of it. By the way, the Cherokee Nation will return. Write that down. So they would not go west of there because they were scared until something happened that caused a movement west. What was it? Yosemite Sam found gold, remember? He struck gold, and then everybody was willing to risk their life and go west so that they could find their own fortune. And I remember just hearing those stories. How many of you have ever gone to a little, one of those little makeshift places, and you had a pan, and you panned for gold? Anybody ever did that? Did you get any gold? Because yeah. I didn't. 
I got a little vial and they put gold in it. And I was thrilled until like three years later, my parents told me, that's fool's gold, fool. That's not gold. That's just, what is it anyway? Copper or something? I thought it was gold and I felt so ripped off. But apparently in some of these, you can pan for gold. And what you're going to get is like gold dust. You're not going to get much. And it's amazing what people will do there. The wild, wild west was exactly that. It was wild and it was crazy. It was out of control. But it didn't matter. There was gold. And people would go and they'd fill up and their, uh, their bags full of gold and they would get rich and it would change their lives and whole towns sprung up because of gold. Well, how many of you got one of these when you walked in? A little glass vial. How many of you are going, what's this for? Are they taking blood? I mean, they're very, very... Sh- no, we're not going to take blood yet. We've thought of it. But gang, when we... Uh, I've been in ministry for probably over 20 years as far as pastorate. And then before that in young life and long time. I know, some of you are going, it's impossible. You look so young. We'll get past that. Uh, been in ministry a long time. And we always have big days. I've always had big days. Because one of the gifts that I think... I know that God's given me his evangelism. I have a heart for the lost. I want to reach them. Because Jesus makes it real clear. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means if they don't know Jesus Christ, then they're not going to be in heaven. They're hellbounders. They're lost. And we need to care about them because God cares about them. So we, we have all these different things I've done over the years to sort of get people pumped up to bring the lost to church where they will hear the gospel. We've got a series coming up on our opening day, August 25th, called Brace for Impact. It's a four-week series. You need to bring your lost friends there. The only other group I suppose you could bring would be Christians who believe in our mission. If you've got people that have, have not found a church, they're not settled in, and they're just kind of restless, but they, this is what they've been waiting for, they're welcome here. But we have our vision. We have our mission. It's not for sale. We know what it is. So what's this got to do? Well, there's something more precious than gold that you can put in these things. Something more precious than gold. And you know what it is? Souls. Lost people. Now, I don't know how we did it. This is Karis out there. Wave your hand, Karis. Where are those little pieces of paper? All right, we're going to pass these little pieces of paper. And when I say little, I mean it. They're little. They're little tiny pieces of paper. And here's what I want you to write on those things with the pen that they're either going to have or the one that you got walking in. I want you to write the name of who you're bringing on August 25th to Impact Church. I want you to write the name of the family. I want you to write the name of the individual. But all of us, because we're all on the wall, Nehemiah's wall, we've all found our place, hopefully. We're all workers. We know that one of the things about our culture is we're an invite culture. And so this is our biggest, most important job as a church. All of us are going to duplicate ourselves. We're going to bring somebody to that grand opening day. We've got other things that we're doing to let the community know that we're here, but nothing brings people out better than a personal invite. Nothing. I don't care if you send out a million flyers, do radio, all that. It's a personal invite that really gets people to come. And studies have shown real clearly that most people, if they were just invited, would come. Eight out of 10. I think it's still hovering right around there. 80% of people. You know, so if you ask two people and they say no, well then you are, you got eight people that are going to say yes, just go for it. You're on the you, the, the odds are so good that we really are, I have no excuse for not inviting people. So what I want you to do is write that name on here, then roll it up, teeny tiny, stick it in there, put the cork on the top of this thing, and ladies, this is kind of in style now, to wear these little vials around your neck. Uh, guys, if you wear it, I'm going to make fun of you around your neck, but you might want to put it on your rearview mirror, or you might want to just put it on a keychain. or what I want you to do is I want you to keep this with you. And I want you to pray about it every day. And to help you do that, Nicole Fister has, has written this whole thing out, 31 days of prayer. 31 days of prayer. It's really an awesome thing. 
for the four of us that are doing it. It's very, very, um, well, maybe you didn't know about it. So here it is, 31 days of prayer. We're on about day 29 now left for the grand opening. It goes all the way to, um, obviously, August 25th. And each day there's something different to, to pray about so that our grand opening will be big, will be a movement of God, be the first day of this movement. I would love for you to join. If you don't know where that is, take your card, fill it out, Give us your email and, we'll, and, and tell us that you want to be updated on the 31 days of prayer. And we'll go ahead and make sure that you get it each and every day. So like I said, a lot of announcements, a lot of things to catch up on. Now, I want you to think of this next few weeks like Disney World a little bit, okay? It's a little bit like we're getting ready to open the theme park, only it's so much more important than a theme park because we're not just Mickey and, you know, Goofy and all that. We've got a much better message to give people than that. Um, but when they open a theme park, and I, and I just found this out, when they open a brand new Chick-fil-A, did you know that for weeks they've been in that Chick-fil-A? For weeks they've been in that theme park doing things. They didn't just show up, hire a bunch of people, show up that day and go, man, I hope this works. No, they go and they actually run the rides. I mean, they actually go there and they, and they start them up and they run the rides and they pretend people are there and they go through the motions. Why? Because they want the first day when people really do get there for it to be the happiest place on earth. It'll be the most miserable place on earth if they hadn't practiced or weren't ready. So I want you to think of the next few weeks for this launch team. We're getting ready. That's why we're going to two services. Look, we're not going to two services because we're overflowing. There's seats behind there. Part of the reason is, one, we want to be a church that has multiple sites in the future. So don't be shocked when that happens with smaller venues. Smaller venues. Because we want to reach people all over Charlotte and honestly beyond, but we really want to keep it in that family atmosphere of no more than about 300 people. So when it hits that, we want to just keep starting new services. We, I'm not going to say that no site we ever have is ever going to seat seven or 800 or more, but pretty much we want to keep that, that family feel. That's a little bit different. The other thing is we want to put more hooks in the water. Around here in this churchy culture, 9 and 11 are when most people show up. And when people have been out late Saturday night, they show up on 11. When people want to get the day going on Sunday and do a lot of stuff, they want to be here at 9. Nobody wants to be here at 10. They look around on the sun. It's not a popular time. You don't see 10 o'clock church services. So next week we'll be here at 10. That's the last one. And then it's 9 and 11. Again, it's for them, not you, not me, but for them. So let's start in on part two of All In. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5 for one of the scariest stories in all Scripture. Wow, nice introduction. It only took me 14 minutes. Youth tonight. Uh, youth tonight. Yes, we have. Uh... By the way, youth will be here, right? Youth will be here. We actually have this for youth. And I know two families that are celebrating. The Hinkles and the MacGyvers, no longer in their homes every single week. It'll be here. All right, now, stick to the service. No more outburst, Nicole. All right. Now, this is one of the scariest stories in all the Bible, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, church-going people who you think are doing good stuff, and by the time we're done, well, let me just give you a brief, uh, brief picture here. Verse 5, there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought... He, brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was all the money, the full amount that he got for the property. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Now, on the surface, this seems like a pretty nice couple, actually. Uh, a godly duo. I mean, they didn't have to give anything to the church. Nobody told them you've got to sell everything. There's no rule that says you've got to sell everything you have and give it all to. But watch this. It has nothing to do with the sacrifice they made. Like I said, they didn't have to do it. It was why they made it. 
that made God mad. It was why they made it. First of all, if you take a look at what was going on right before this, you would read, you'd find out that the people that in the churches in Jerusalem were finding favor with everyone, including the government of Rome, including lost people, even some of the Jewish religious leaders, they were finding favor with everyone. You know why? Because they were living all in. They were living so unselfishly that people were sitting back going, this is real. This is real. These people are the real deal. And the people that were blowing away the lost people the most were those that were formerly wealthy and sold everything they had so that people that didn't have much or suffering could have, could have food, could have a place to live. And when people saw that kind of action behind their words, they thought, this is incredible. And they found favor. So enter Ananias and Sapphira. They see this and they want the popularity. They go, man, I wish people looked at us like that, but I don't want to give up all my money because we're pretty wealthy. So how about we just pretend to give it all. Then we can have the popularity and all the esteem and everything and be rich. Like he could fool God. It was that favor and that popularity that they were after. So they wanted to be all in and actually be about 80% out. They wanted to be looked upon that way like the people that were in favor, just, just like them. With one relevant distinction. They wanted to remain mostly out and only appear all in. So they're interested in looking the part rather than really being who God called them to be. They weren't all in. Now, George McDonald, a godly man who's been through a lot in ministry, he said this, and I totally agree with him. He said, half the misery in the world is caused by people trying to look rather than trying to be. Think about that. Let me say it again. Half the misery in this world is caused by people trying to look rather than trying to be. Isn't that true? People worried so much about looking like there's something instead of just being that. He goes, I have a sneaky suspicion that this is going on a lot more than people think. Back then, listen, gang, people waited to name their kids. It wasn't kind of like today where we just name our kids cool names that we think of. You know, and, and names are getting a little strange. Uh, I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow named her daughter what? Apple. That's a pretty fruity name, isn't it? I mean, imagine naming your kid after a fruit. So we just come up with all these bizarre names. Frank Zappa named one of his kids Moon Zappa. I mean, imagine putting a name like that on your kid for the rest of life. I'd be in court as soon as I could, changing my name. But back then, you know what they did? They named their kids after generations of things that happened, or they waited sometimes until they were one or two years old, and they'd see traits and name them that way, or sometimes they'd name them a way they'd hope they'd go, but naming was really important. And Ananias' name means God is gracious. So I have a sneaky suspicion that generations there, they had seen God's grace. And grace is unmerited favor. It's getting favor from God. It's getting good things from God that you know you don't deserve. How ironic that that's his name. And his wife, Sapphira, her name means beautiful. Which means probably as a child at least, you know, one or two years old, as a little girl, she's probably striking. She's just a beautiful little girl. So they named her that and they waited. And they hoped that these names would sort of pan out, would really be who they are. So wanting to fit in with the believers who sold their goods and shared their resources with the new believers who were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and brought a portion to the pro- of the proceeds to the apostles, claiming it was everything. So they were trying to appear more religious and righteous than they really were. Right? But gang, they're not selfish. I've heard this explained before and people going, well, it looks like they're pretty in. They're a lot more in than people I know. They gave some money, probably a pretty good chunk of money. Because I mean, if they'd just given a little bit, people would have said, that can't be all you got for your land. 
So they, they gave a lot, probably gave even till it hurt a little bit. Gave sacrificially. That's not the issue. It's not an issue of selfishness at all. Again, the issue is hypocrisy. The issue is hypocrisy, and it continues to be the number one issue with people outside the church as it's been for 2,000 years. When people say, I don't go to church, I don't want to go to church, the number one reason is it's filled with hypocrites. Say it's filled with hypocrites. Now, I agree, it is. I'm, I'm one of them. We struggle with that. So whenever people tell me that, I go, well, come join us. What's a couple more? It's not going to hurt. I mean, everybody except for Jesus in some way is hypocritical. But when it's just in your face like this, that's what the world hates. And so, so there's a whole bunch of people who are being genuine and really selling, and these people were trying to pull a fast one. Oliver Wendell, so they lied. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Isn't that true? Sin has many tools, but attached to every one of them is the handle called a lie. Every one of them starts with a lie. So gang, this is pretty harsh looking. We see this, we go, man, God. I mean, as we read on, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but as we read on, you're going to find out that the apostles confronted Ananias first. And Ananias said, yep, this is the whole thing. And so Peter said, well, then you just lied to God. Not me. It's not that, but you just lied to God. By the way, the first time he says you lied to God, second, or first time he says you lied to the Holy Spirit, second time he says you lied to God. So it's a great reference for the Trinity. I just thought I'd throw that in. The Trinity's all over the Bible. People say it's not there, but it really is. And he says, you lied to God, and Ananias fell over dead. A little bit later in that day, his wife came home from wherever she was. Peter put the same question to her. Your husband's not here right now, and he wasn't. He's dead. But I asked him a question. I want to ask you, too. Is this everything from the land that you sold? Oh, yeah, it's everything. We're dirt poor now. No place to live. Going to have to... And at least she got a little warning, like two seconds, said the same feet that just came in here and carried, and the hands that carried off your husband are now coming to carry you off. So she got to hear that short speech, and then she keeled over. Man, that's huge. That's a huge punishment. And we look up here, and this isn't about, or we look at this, and we think, this is, God's a tyrant. He's not. And by the way, God's not on trial here. Man is. Jesus never said, he wanted 20% of us. I don't know where we get this stuff. Jesus never said, hey, man, I want you to follow me. And listen, you decide. I'll be back in about a month. I'm going all over getting see how, what kind of levels of membership I can get in this movement. You know, I got a lot of 10 percenters, but I'd really like to get a couple 20s and 30s. And No, he asked for one thing. All I can find in Scripture is everything. He says, leave your life and come for a different life. Follow me. Take up your cross daily. Give me everything you got, and you'll never look back. So it's curious how we've sort of developed this religion that says, we can give 20% of our hearts. Again, God doesn't even want 99% of your heart. He wants all of it. And he said, those who follow me must be all in. Now, those are my words, but I think his are more harsh. Must take up your cross and die daily to yourself. See, Jesus isn't interested in secret admirers. Are you a Christian? Yes, Nobody can know that I'm a Christian except God. It's between me and him. It's a private thing. Or mere fans. He had a lot of fans, didn't he? And Jesus had a lot of times when tens of thousands of people were there, but they were after either a free lunch or a healing or a miracle or a show or a great teaching. But never once did he say, you know what? My fan club is huge. I want to have the biggest fan club in the history of the world. So keep, in fact, many times he thinned the crowd. 
A lot of times when there were big crowds there, he would say or do something and they would leave. He's not interested in fans. He's not interested in part-time believers, but he will greatly honor and support those who are all in and churches that are all in. And I like this too. And he will not share the blessing that he gives people who are all in and the blessing that he gives churches who are all in with the free lunch crowd, which is made pretty crystal clear by Ananias and Sapphira. He wasn't going to share the honor that was given to those that were really given, that were really all in with someone who just said they were all in. But for those who are sold out, look what we can look forward to. Second Chronicles 16.9. Write that reference down. You realize it's a verse worth studying. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support. How would you like God's strong support? To give strong support to those whose hearts is blameless towards him. And other translations say, for those whose hearts are fully his. He's looking for people, right? That are what? Wake up. He's looking for people that are what? All in. God's spirit. Some of your Bibles say, this, I believe King James, the spirit of the Lord moves to and fro throughout the earth to seek those whose hearts are fully his in order that he may strongly lift them up. He's looking for people that are all in. He's not looking for people that can do the job that he can't do. I mean, even if you're weak and, and you think you have nothing to offer, if you love him with all your heart and you're all in, he's looking for you. He's not looking for the most talented, the best looking, the most wealthy. He doesn't need any of that. He'll make you what he needs you to be to serve him. All you need to do is give him all your heart. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at what our culture looks at as being all in, and I want to look at what's really all in. i got seven or eight things, and they're pretty quick, and then we'll go home, and we have one more part to this next week. But I want to look at the all-in attitude versus the all-out attitude so that we know as a group, so that we know as individuals, and so that we can check ourselves if we're all out when we want to be all in. All right, here's the first one. All in. And by the way, you have this little thing, this little all in thing. It's pretty cool. It has lines if you open it up. Those are for notes that you can take. So here's the first note. I'm going to give you seven or eight things. The eight one is a bonus thing if we have time, which we're clearly not going to have time, but I may make time. So all in. My service feels predominantly like a privilege. I'm not going to explain all these. Some I will. I'll explain the first couple pretty, pretty deep. My service feels predominantly like a privilege and only sometimes like a sacrifice. Does that make sense? Doesn't matter because we're going to explain it. If your service, if your volunteering area to God feels more like a sacrifice, read here chore all the time, than a privilege, read here honor, then it's most likely because your walk with the Lord is more about religion than relationship. I'm telling you why that feeling's there. Well, what right do you have? I don't. I got this from the Word of God. These aren't my things. It's more about requirements, real or imagined, than a connection with God, if you feel that way, and connection with His people. And the focus, if, it's, if it feels like a sacrifice all the time, is likely on instructions that you follow rather than the person you claim to follow. If every time you serve, you're like, man, I hate this, but I got to do it. I got to check it off. Something's wrong. It could be any one of these things. Now, if you see someone serving who is always full of joy, and there's a lot of them at Impact Church. Where's Debbie at? I'm going to put her on the spot. I see you. By the way, you were talking. Just said, Debbie Collins always, always seems like she's on fire. She's always smiling. I've never caught her not smiling. I'm not sure it's not a surgical thing. You know, it's just been put there. She's always cheerful. You know what? You show me somebody that's cheerful like that for the Lord and when they're serving, and I'll show you someone that probably knows them deeper. 
and probably spends time with them. And that's why. And I'll show you someone too that's all in. All in. On the other hand, all out. My service feels mostly like a sacrifice and only occasionally like a privilege. Kind of like this guy. Hi, I'm sitting. Hi, I serve. Yep, I'm sitting. I see that. This is the best seat in the house. I can see it all. Wow, that's, that's pretty great. This place is great. We have such a great choir. This is definitely what it feels like to be free. Well, you know, I know the choir's always looking for new members. Maybe I could introduce No, you no, I, I can't sing. Besides, this is such a great seat. I mean, I love talking to the ushers and the greeters when they come by. You know, I think you would really like to be on the greeter team. Maybe I could talk to No, no, I, I have a bad knee. All that standing and walking. Speaking of walking, those parking tenants did a good job helping me find a spot to park this morning. Wow, you know, I'm on the parking team. Why don't you join us? No, no, I, I get overheated pretty easily. Plus, the cold weather makes my bad knees stiff. But I just love this seat. Love this seat, yeah. Love my seat. Well, if serving during the church service is difficult for you, I know a connection group who cooks meals for shut-ins. I even know a group that's putting a roof on a house. Nah. I think I just want to sit here all week long. In fact, why don't you join me? Experience the comfort. The width of the seat is perfect, and the back keeps my posture secure. Hey, you know, thanks a lot for the offer, but I really need to get back out and help with the parking team. But hey, enjoy the view. I believe I will. Now, hopefully what we see is not that obvious. But again, some people, I think, that want to be all in have this idea that if I show up at church and I tip God occasionally, throw a fiber in the old offering plate and sing, whether I can sing or not, at least one of the four or five songs and show up at least, I don't know, two out of four times a month, that God is thrilled. God is thrilled to death with me. It, listen, being all out is obviously just the opposite of all in. When you're all out in this area, the focus is likely not on those around you. Instead, it's on you and how you feel when you serve. By the way, how do you know if your focus is on others? In a bad way. Not on others how to serve them, but on others on a bad way. That would be you look around constantly making sure you're being treated fairly in serving. I mean, you look around and you go, you know what, I serve, and how come Debbie got pointed out there? I've been here longer, and I think I smile bigger. That Debbie does. So I don't appreciate that. I need to be. If you ever have that feeling, you're probably not all in. And your focus is on others and how they're be treating instead of just all out for what you're doing, laser focused on how you're serving. We see this in scripture in several places. One is in the last chapter of John, chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. And here's the setting here. Peter has denied Christ three times, and Jesus has appeared many times after he's risen, and this time when he appeared, and he cooked them breakfast, and they're on the shore right now, he says, Peter, let's go for a walk, I need to talk to you, and it's a beautiful scene, because three times he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Now, he's using a different word. Jesus says, do you agape love me, like sacrificially, and Peter keeps uh, answering him, I, of course I love you, phileo, which is a friendship love, a brotherly love, so they can't mesh up there. 
And Jesus asks him again. And I think that Peter's not answering right because he feels bad about what he did. You would too. He says, obviously, I don't agape love you. If I agape loved you, I wouldn't have went out. I wouldn't have denied you three times. I, I want to, but I don't. But listen, Jesus doesn't force him there. In fact, on the last one when he asks him, Jesus switches his. He says, do you, phileo, do you love me as a brother and a friend? And Peter says, I do. He kind of met him where he's at. He's bringing him along. And Peter's coming along. And we have high hopes. Except as they're walking, Peter does this number. He looks back and they're alone. And he looks back at John and he goes, hey, Jesus, I do have a question though. What about him? He's such a slacker. I don't know if you've noticed John, but he goofs off. He's kind of young. And listen, and then, then Jesus told Peter, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're all in because times are coming. When you won't go where you want to go, people will lead you. He's telling him how he's going to die. You're going to be martyred. And, and he's giving this whole picture, and it's tough. And he kind of gets upset. And he goes, what about John? If I'm going to die, then he should die. He should die worse than I die. He should be skinned alive, then crucified. I'm going to be crucified, but I think he, I've lived better. So his focus, you got this ridiculous picture of one of the disciples going, I will serve you, but it better be fair. Kind of this entitlement deal. So, let's move on to Luke 17, 7 through 10. Suppose one of you, Luke 17, by the way, not that quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 17. One more scripture before leaving this one. 7 through 10. Let me read it while you're turning there. I don't hear a lot of fluttering. I guess you all have iPads. All right. Suppose one of you has a servant who comes in from plowing the field or tending the sheep. Would you take his coat, set the table for him, and say, hey, sit down and eat? No, wouldn't you more likely say, prepare me dinner, Change your clothes, wait the table for me, and when I've finished my coffee, then go to the kitchen and have your supper. You, you can have your supper after you're done doing your job. Does the servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? It's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter of fact and say the work is done. What we were told to do, we did. Now, I knew that I could preach this and say this. You'd be going, what are you saying, Pastor? Actually, I'm not saying anything. I just read Luke 17 to you. Jesus is saying something. He's saying, you know what? When I call you, I expect you to be all in, and I expect you to do this with joy, and I don't expect for you to want to be cheered and clapped every time you do the minimum. Every time you just do what's expected of you, that shows that you might have the wrong attitude. By the way, it's not some kind of commentary on servanthood or slavery or anything. That's just what the culture was. So Jesus picked a story to get this across. But I think a lot of believers in America have the idea that God is just jumping for joy when we show up at church and we just do the minimum. But we're expected to serve. Once you become a believer, you're expected to do your chores as part of the family and serve. Listen, if you're nine months old and you get up and walk, I'm probably going to cheer because that's pretty impressive for a nine-month-old baby. But if you're 40 and you're walking, hey, Pastor Rob, look, I'm walking. I'm not going to cheer. No golf clap, nothing. I'm just not, because you should be walking. That's expected. But some people have that attitude in the church. Look, I'm serving here. I'm serving. Park your car over there now. With a, oh, look, I'm serving. I've showed up, Pastor Rob. I mean, God's not up there going, well, I'm glad you're there. I mean, you're turning people off and they'll never come back to this church again with that faith. But at least you showed up. No, he wants a cheerful servant, serving from the heart. And if that bothers us, he told these stories because we need to constantly check our hearts. Why are we serving in the first place? If you're always telling yourself, the fact is, Pastor, I could spend, or telling yourself, I could spend my time doing something else. Hear me, please. Because I used to have, you know, in church work, I've had people say this, well, I don't have to do this. I can make it a lot more money. I could be doing something else. 
Here's my answer. By all means, do it. By all means, do it. If you can go out there and make a lot more money and be a lot more happy, then do it. But quit complaining about doing this. It should be filled with joy. Now, listen, this is the greatest group of, of people for a launch I could have ever imagined. For the most part, what I see is an all-in attitude, an all-in attitude. So I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here. I get it. But people are going to join us. And people are going to want to join the team. And they're going to want to come on. And they're not going to have that attitude at first. So what I want us to do is set this bar high and keep it high and help them to come up to this, especially when you have a grand opening. I mean, there could be 50 more people. There could be 100, 200, 300 people that come in all at once. It's going to be up to us to show them what God's called us to be. All right, here's the second one. Wow, we got seven of these. Unbelievable. My f- all in, my first measure is potential impact. If I'm all in, then my first measure is potential impact. It means I have an excitement for how uh, what I'm doing, my, my area of serving, will further the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm thrilled about it. If I sing, I'm thrilled that, hey, I get to use my voice to further the kingdom of God through Impact Church. That's an all-in thing. And when someone is serving like this, it's not hard to spot. I'm going to show some businesses like this. It's not even for God normally, but it's just businesses. The attitude's obvious. You ever listen closely to the people at Chick-fil-A when they're serving you? You ever listen? And if you don't catch it, just drive through and get two lunches. Drive through McDonald's first, tape it, and then go to Chick-fil-A and tape it. You'll hear a difference. I promise you. Man, here's some things I always hear. How may I serve you? Have a great day. Oh, it's my pleasure, no matter what. I mean, I hope we don't have McDonald's people. I'm just saying, it's a different. At McDonald's, excuse me, can I get some napkins? Well, let's see. You have perfectly good legs. I'm going to guess that probably you could. Yeah. Go get them. <laughs> a little bit different. No, I've never had anybody say that. I, I, I sense that they're thinking it, though. Sometimes I sense they're thinking it. There's, there's a difference. One of them's kind of franchised. Just get it out there. Let's get them. And Chick-fil-A is unbelievable. When it comes to fast food, they're just set apart from the others. There's a place, the happiest place on earth. It's kind of like this, too. It's a little bit different if you go to Disney World and how they serve you and stuff than if you just go to a regular amusement park. There's a difference. Now, here's all out. My main measure is personal inconvenience. It's not how can my area further impact his kingdom. It's uh, I will do this if it doesn't inconvenience me. I'm pretty sure these are the folks who work in customer service at mobile phone companies. I have a suspicion. Now, I have a phone, and I'm not going to say who it's with, but the initials are AT&T. And so if you call up and you try to get help from them, I'm, I'm, I have a sneaky suspicion they don't like me. I don't feel like they're happy to hear from me. I mean, it just seems like that I'm ruining their day. That's different from different companies. That's not what God wants. That's so different from, for example, like I said before, Disney World. I mean, the the place that, that literally probably still rules when it comes to great service. Well, I got I got this theory. Shouldn't we with the message we have and the truth that we have and the, and the mission that we have, shouldn't we be at least as enthusiastic as a 17-year-old working the front gate at the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse ride or whatever? Shouldn't we be at least as enthusiastic as that? That's made up. It's fantasy stuff. And I knew Nicole would be with me. I was hoping there'd be more. All right? We have something better to offer than Goofy. Sorry, kids, but we do. We have something better to offer. There's nothing better than Goofy. Yes, there is. There's eternal life and, and being adopted into God's family. Some of you go, well, I'm happy about it. Well, then notify your face. 
There should be a smile on your face. Listen, if you and I don't get it, don't understand what a privilege it is to serve God and to serve on God's team, then we will view our volunteering as a hassle and the people all around us as a tiresome inconvenience. Like this scenario. I love this. Yeah, I like living here in New York, but it definitely changes you. It'll make people impatient. Have you ever had somebody not ask for directions but demand them? <laughs> You're just walking down the street, you hear a horn, some guy's like, Holland Toronto! You know, like you were supposed to fax this guy directions? <laughs> Suddenly you're wasting his time. <laughs> Let's go, buddy, Holland Tana. Anybody here from New York? Thanks for visiting. I guess we won't see you again. <laughs> That's kind of true. And gang, when you come to a church and it's that attitude or you have greeters that are talking and catching up in a huddle and you walk by, excuse me, where's the children? I don't know. Do I look like a working children's? They're probably not coming back. No, we don't have anybody like that here. But again, we have a very strong all-in launch team, but more people are coming. And we need help. We need, we're going to need a lot of folks to join our team. Let's show them by our example where, what we're so happy about, what we're so thrilled about. Number three, all in. My highest aspirations are planted in this soil, the soil of Impact Church. That means I'm planted here. This is my church. I'm going to make this work with my gifts. It's not, I'm going to start here. This is pretty good, but I'm hoping to be able to go down the road and be a pastor at such and such church. I want to use this or I want to lead worship here, but I'm hoping to get a record deal. I mean, it's always the next thing. All in means this is where God put me, so I'm all in here on this soil. All out, personal preferences drive my priorities. The opposite of furthering the church's mission and vision, oh, let's make sure they got the same thing, all in. No, all, I'm sorry, I, I got one mixed up. All out, my biggest plans involve a transplant. That means my biggest plans involve, I'm going to do pretty good here, I'm going to do the best I got, but I'm looking at this position, I'm looking at this job. That's really what I have my eye on. So I'm going to sort of give it a half effort here. It's kind of an entitlement attitude. All you can think of is building a case in, in your current place for why you should be paid more, respected more, or given more. It's an entitlement deal. And I know you're not going to like this, but this is true. Guess what's the only thing, because of, of what Adam and Eve did, thousands and thousands of years, guess what's the only thing we're actually entitled to? What do you think it is? Hell. That's what we're entitled to. Romans says the wages, the payment for our life and our sin is death. But the free gift of God, thank goodness, through his son Jesus Christ is eternal life. The only thing we're entitled to without Jesus is death. But because God is good in his grace, he gives us so many good things. Number four, all in. My personal strengths are leveraged to push our priorities forward. It's a little bit like the one before at number three, so I won't spend a lot of time here. That means our, our, my personal strengths, my giftedness, what I discover God's given me as a spiritual gift, I use that to further the values and the vision and the mission of Impact Church, not my own agenda. The all-out version of this would be personal preferences drive my priorities. Example, you can sing, you can play guitar, but rather than using your gifts in unity to further the worship vision of impact, you decide you'll only sing under a couple conditions. One, we sing hymns. I've got a gift to offer, but I like hymns. I don't like this. So that's number one. Number two, we turn the volume down to my level. Turn the volume down. If we don't, I don't sing. Next, we bring in a handbell choir because you secretly wield a mean C-sharp handbell. Not going to do it. 
So you see the trend here? It's sort of holding the church hostage. You have gifts to give, but you're not going to give it because you're not all in. You're all out, which means I'll use my gift if you do church my way. That's an all-out attitude. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all its various forms. Now, I remember when I sat down going over this, I actually developed this message with another pastor in town who actually, he developed a lot of this and we're sitting down. I thought it was awesome and he was scared to use this. I thought it was incredible. And so we added to it and talked about it a little bit and he said, you know what, I don't really want to preach this. I think people will go right out the back door, but it's so obvious in God's word. It's so obvious. And I really want our church to be all in. I really don't want the, the lost people out there to see people sort of half-heartedly convicted on this. And so I feel, I feel kind of the same way. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit because we haven't even launched, but I don't want them to ever see. I don't want to ever lose the momentum that we have. I don't want the lost to come in and ever see anything other than all in, folks. Again, so I'll preach to the choir. I'll make sure that we're all, all in. First Peter 4, 9 through 10, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received from the Lord to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Number five, all in. Nothing we do is not my job. Nothing we do is not my job. Obviously, uh, I mean, this is the person who says, you know, even though they're working out in the parking lot, somebody comes with three or four kids of all ages and they go, you know, I don't, I don't know where the children's is and I've got to get these, these little ones checked in and everything. I want to make sure they're safe and all that. This is the person who says, hey, can you cover for me? I'm going to take them to children's. I'm going to make sure they get... They wouldn't say... What do I look like? I've got a parking vest on. It's pretty bright. I've got these flags. I've waved you to your parking. Do I look like a children's person? No, that's not my job. No, we never have that attitude. Obviously, all out is the opposite. Your calling is compartmentalized. You will only do what you're assigned to do, and you won't branch out with that. By the way, you don't find that at Chick-fil-A. You don't find that at Disney World, and you shouldn't find that in God's church. There should be a bar where everybody knows just enough to, to help anybody at any time. Uh, we're up at Word of Life with uh, about 30 of our youth a week and a half ago, and my wife came for only uh, a day. She actually chaperoned, so she had to, in order to have enough chaperones, we had to fly her in just to ride the bus. Well, she was going to be there for a few hours, so I wanted her to have at least one fun thing to do, and so we signed her up for four o'clock to go jet skiing. Well, when we went down there, and I know the head of Word of Life worldwide, so he wants to know this stuff that is going on, because they have great... I guess customer service up there. So we're down there and at four o'clock, we showed up a few minutes early and we're ready to jet ski. There's three jet skis and we get there and the three jet skis take off and they go, somebody's on them. Go, well, what's that? So I go to this one lifeguard person. I go, we're signed up at four o'clock. Uh, are they just going out? I don't know. Do you see them? Yep. Looks like they're going out. Yeah. Well, we're signed up. Are they signed up? Where's the sign up list? And then here it comes. Actually, I don't know because that's not my job. Ooh. So I went to another lifeguard that was there that was probably worked 10 feet from the jet skis. Do you have any idea what's on, We're on the sign-up? Well, where's the sign-up sheet? Here it is. Nope, there's nobody signed up there. They shouldn't be out there, but they are. <laughs> so can we find out? Go. The only way they know is up at the inn. Well, that's up Mount Everest, back up the hill to hike up there. I said, well, you got a radio? Can you radio them? No, I don't have a radio. Is there any way to contact them? No. What if everyone here is killed by a thunderstorm or something? Is there any way to let them know? No, we're lost. So could somebody go up there and... No, that's 
not my job. So I went running up the hill to find out. We were signed up. All of a sudden, by, by the time I was over and we jet skied an hour after our time, three people had told me, that's not my job. We don't want to have that attitude here. We want to ever go beyond one area, greeting person's area and slip into another area and have somebody say, I can't help you because I know nothing about that and I refuse. That's not my job. All in says, everything's my job. I'll do whatever I can to help you to make this experience one where you experience God. Obviously, well, let's get to number six. All in. Requirement is a baseline for some that's useless to me. Requirement is a baseline for some that is useless to me. So if you're all in, that means, well, I don't just do what's required of me. That's useless to me. That's where I start. I mean, this can be shown in a million different areas. It can be shown at tithe. God teaches us that all of the good things that we have are from him. And so the baseline really for giving back to God is 10%. This is the kind of person who says, well, I just start there. With my life, I want to learn to give more because I know it's all his anyway. With my service, I don't just want to do what they tell me to. I want to be the best greeter, the best children's worker. I want to I teach these kids. I want to pour my life into them. Hopefully, I can be a, a part of why they follow Jesus for the rest of their life right here. So it's a baseline for the all-in person. For the all-out person, my participation maxes out at the level of requirement. So I mean, oh, I hit the lid. That's all that I'm required to do. So it's time to go. This is the person, the nine to five person that watches the clock. You know, 4.58, 4.59, I can go home. You ever work with people like that? Some of you going, I am that person. <laughs> but you should see my job. <laughs> all right, well, certainly working for the Lord, we shouldn't do that because it's a privilege and it's such an honor. Now, this is going to be hard, but I want you to really think about this. There's power in both sides. There's power in seeing these people like Acts chapter 2. It was powerful to see people sell everything and just be, when you see someone that's all in, it's attractive. People are drawn to that. When you see someone that's all out, people are repelled by that. When you see someone like Ananias and Sapphira who says they're all in, but they're really not, that's powerful too, negatively. It's crushing. In fact, I would say in some instances, it's more powerful I think it's more powerful. I'm trying to figure out how to do this little deal here, um, and I need some help. So I'm going to get a big, strong, strapping guy here. <laughs> yeah, come on, Nathan. Come on up. Want to help me out? So I'm a little bit outside my range here. That's dangerous. That was, all right, let's try this. Jalen, I'll give this back to you. I want to put, ah, we've got lights that'll crack. So can you all see over here? Pretty good. Nathan, stand on this chair. Nathan's pretty strong. I know. He loves to wrestle. We wrestle sometimes. I know he can't beat me. Not yet. But here's the deal. I want to get some gals up here that are not so strong. So if you're a little dainty gal, I need like four or five of you. And if you did it at Word of Life, get up here. <laughs> Juliana, come on. Francesca, come on. Megan, you have a, you have a bad foot, so you're excused. Unless you want to come up. I want some, uh, I want some, where's, is Casey there? Casey, come on up. Who else we got here? I can't see. Meredith, where are you? Come on up. That should do it. Can you, here, let's say that Nathan is a mean, nasty, all-out kind of a guy. And he doesn't want to serve. He doesn't want to have a good attitude like all four of these girls obviously have. He would like them to have fun with him with an all-out attitude, so he's going to pull them up to his world. So, Nathan, put your hands out like this together. 
way out of his heart, like that. And girls, two of you over here, two of you over there, grab on right here, grab on his hand. Now, Nathan, you girls don't pull him off or anything. Nathan, with your brute strength that I know that you have, lift all four girls up and put them on the chair with you. Go. <laughs> Come on, all of them, all four, watch the lights. Watch the lights, Meredith. All right, it's not happening. This is a one-hour service. All right, now, you weren't even close. Nathan goes, oh, so close. No, it wasn't ever. All right, uh, now, here's what I want you to see. Now, I don't want you to kill him because I only got one son. My one and only son. Put your arms out there again, but I have a theory. Hey, um, Gary, come up here a second. I want you to catch this when it goes all wrong. (laughs) So can you go right on the steps here? Now, girls, you're just... Little girls who, oh, I'm not going to say anymore. Who knows? Now, on three, I want you to see if you can pull them off that chair. One, two, three. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for illustrating my point. That is what it's like, honestly, when we think that we can pull somebody up to our level, you know, I mean, just being all in even, it's hard enough. It worked back in Acts chapter two, but getting to pull people down to a lower level, that's super easy. It's easy to pull people down to the lowest common denominator, but it's tough to raise people up. And I want us to never, ever forget that. All out, my participation maxes out at the level of requirement. Number seven, all in. The demands of ministry require rest to release pressure and replenish energy. That's okay. You probably expected this to be all out. This is all in. It means that you serve and you're, you're like, man, I love being there every week. I'm really tired and, and I need to refresh. God is the one who didn't need rest on the seventh day. He just took it as an example to you and I that we should be resting. So it's okay. In fact, it's demanded, it's commanded, it's good and it's healthy. But that's different from the subtle differences of all out. All out means ministry is a demand that I feel the need to escape from. You ever feel that way? That's completely different. It's, I feel the, the, the need to just, it's driving me crazy. I don't like the people. I don't like doing it. I have a bad, I just got to escape. That's a sign that probably you're very close to burnout. Okay. Gang, we want to do life together. Not just gather on Sunday to check church off of a to-do list. We want to do life together. The early church that was so vibrant, that was so incredible. They did life more than just on the Sabbath. Acts 2, 46 through 47 says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That's that favor I was talking about. But look at the first part. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Willingly, the people came up with it. Can you imagine doing this every day because you want to? I mean, you're you're bombarding my phone going, I know we all have jobs and everything, but can't we just share all our wealth and meet every day and do this? Could you imagine wanting to do it? That's what the early church was like. They didn't do life everywhere else and sort of live secret lives and then come here and try to impress God for an hour. They were so all in. If they could have spent every waking moment together, they would have. Here's the bonus option because I've already blown the time out so bad. Why not? Here's the last one. All in, number eight. My strongest connections flow from my calling. Does that make sense? I want to explain this one too much. My strongest connections flow from my calling. It's kind of like number seven, but that means that 
what, if I'm called to minister and I'm called to lead a small group, be part of a small group, or I'm called to serve here and there, well, my life and my friends and my strongest connections with people revolve around that. Not my golf buddies. That's not stronger. Not my school activities. Not my kids' sports team. Not the lake house. Not the beach house. Not my Facebook friends. Not my high school friends or college buddies. It revolves around my strongest connections are with God's people. Now, I'm just telling you what all in looks like. I know there's going to be a temptation to leave today and go, man, Pastor Rob was really hard on us. Pastor Rob just gave you scripture. Pastor Rob gave you scripture. It's not easy. When Jesus said, my, my burden is light, my yoke is easy, you know what he meant? If you're saved, I will come alongside you and help you lift that. With God doing the heavy lifting, it's not bad. But he also says, take up your cross daily and follow me. There will be a cross involved. It will be hard. People might make fun of you. People might hate you. There might be all kinds of bad things. But guess what? I'll be there. And you have me now as your heavenly father. I've adopted you. That's better. I think sometimes we have this idea when we're a Christian, the proof of it will be our life will be a piece of cake. And it'll be comfortable, be wealthy and prosperous. But that's not in there. There could be times like that, but that's not the mark of a believer. And all out on this last one means my strongest connections are disconnected from my calling. It means my strongest connections are with my high school buddies or with everybody else. And church is just something where I don't really know the people, but I I check it off. Or where I feel the pressure, you know, from my high school friends or college buddies. Hey, you've changed. You don't hang out with us anymore. You know what you need to tell them? Yes, I have changed. I died. I died to myself. I'm not the same person anymore. And I want to tell you why. Instead of feeling that pressure, yeah, why do I hang around with these church people? I want to hang out with you. Your strongest connections are with God's people. Friends, I wouldn't be doing this. My wife wouldn't be doing this. My family wouldn't be doing this. This is hard. Planting a church is not easy. Anybody Who's been here more than a few months? Then you know. Right? It's not easy, is it? And we haven't even gotten started yet. Getting it off the ground that first year is very, very tough. It's really tough. I I would never do this. I can promise you I would never do this if I thought it was going to be just an 1,101. But I desperately want to spend the rest of my life as a part of a movement. I serve a great big God. We serve a great big God. And I want to see him move like he moves so often in here. Don't you? Don't you want to see something amazing in your life? I mean, I've heard about times in my life of the great awakening in this country. And then... When it went away and it died away, people prayed and prayed and there was a, the second great awakening. We so desperately need in Charlotte. I don't care if it's a religious town. I do care. It's bad. But we need a third great awakening, don't we, in this country before it's too late? Well, I don't want to live my life and my entire life. If God's merciful and I live till 90 years old, I don't want there to be 90 years where I never experienced anything like the great awakening. So you go, well, we're just one church. The disciples were just 11 guys. It doesn't matter. In fact, we don't even need a whole church. If five of you were sold out, we could change Charlotte. But imagine what God could do if not just five of us were all in. Imagine what God could do if this entire launch team was all in. So I want you to go home and I want you to look at these things, these eight things that are tough. I'm going to be looking harder at them this week. There's two or three of these things that convict me pretty bad. Because I look at it and I go, I'm not all in in that area. I'm definitely about 20% out. And God's convicted me. I got to work on it. 
But if we're all in, what happens? What did, what did 2 Chronicles tell us? 69, I think it was? That his spirit moves to and fro throughout the earth looking for a church like that, looking for one person like that. Imagine what he would do. He says what he would do, right? He will support them. No. He will strongly support that church if we're all in. It's worth it, gang. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So I want you to take these little vials. I want you to write that name on it, and I want you to take it serious. Keep that thing in front of you for the next 29 days, and do what it takes to get that person to impact church. Because you know me, gang. I'm going to give the gospel in that series, and people are going to get saved, because that's what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost. I'm just a mouthpiece, but his spirit will move. And the only way that your lost friends can get saved is if they're here. So I can't wait. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for August 25th. A new kind of church is coming to Charlotte. Starting in Waxhaw. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this group, Lord. Thank you for their all-in attitude, God. And and I I feel like I'm preaching again to to the choir. I feel like they've shown this, Lord, and you know their hearts. They've been living it out for months, giving everything they've got. And we're just weeks away from what we've been working for, Lord. Father, I pray that we'll hold on loosely to this church. It's not ours. It's not mine. It's yours. And that we'll lay it at the altar on August 25th and give it to you and just sit back and see what beautiful things you'll do. And it's not a building and it's not a school. And and even if we paid for it and owned it, it's not ours. It's the people. Your church is the people. And Lord, we, we pray unreservedly, Lord, we beg that this impact church would actually make an impact right here first and then in the community and the world and even the future when we're long gone that people will see your son clearly in all that we do and this will be a movement more than a church a movement let it start with us let it start today in your son's name in Jesus name amen thanks for worshiping with us see you next week